0: This is The balance Dilemma. We tackle the often uniquely, but not always, female dilemma of managing life,
1: work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. The Balanced Dilemma, we reach out to women and men to hear their balance stories. What worked, what didn't, and what takeaways they have to help improve our lives and achieve balance.
0: Today we go back in time, 40 years, to December 1980 when Dr. Elizabeth Whalen published an article entitled Confessions of a Superwoman. Finding this article in my attic started the conversation between me and Christy, and that brought us to this show, the story and myth of the so-called superwoman, able to leap to the top of the corporate ladder while preparing gourmet meals and raising her own supergirl. Although Elizabeth is no longer with us, her daughter, Dr. Christine Whelan, has carried the torch. She's now a professor at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, where she teaches courses that focus on life, money, and relationships, a virtual expert on the issues we're discussing. So Confessions of a Superwoman is available on Christine's website, christinewhelan.com. And Christine, thank you so much for joining us. Um, We're very excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me on. I want to start with some direct lines from your mother's article. In the middle, it says, or posits, can you be both a successful wife and mother and successful career woman? Is it inevitable that one or the other will suffer? And the subtitle of this article says she had it all. Yale, Harvard, career, successful husband, baby, New York apartment, beach house, dream house. But it wasn't working. My goodness.
1: (laughs) Did they they say and she had a great wardrobe? (laughs) So, Christine, what's the answer? (laughs) (laughs) so my, my mother wrote this article
2: 40 years ago and uh when i found it um probably about seven or eight years ago again myself i thought you know how little has changed um, and that may have been your reaction exactly. as well. So there, you know, these are these are these perennial questions um, that are facing us. You know, there's this big question of can you have it all, and what my mom came to in this article, which I have read and reread uh, so many times at this point, is that, um, is that you you can have it all uh, within reason, is what she said, um, and and with some limits. And so uh, she, in this article, sort of tells the story of trying to accomplish what she thought. And, um, and, and I can tell you personally, she very much believed was what success looked like. She said that she had these four goals. Um, it was to get a good education, to land a good husband, to have that baby, and then have that ideal home in the suburbs. And she had planned it all out in high school, she said, and, um, and she made it her job. To, uh, to try to make it all happen.
1: Wow. You know, uh, Christine, one thing that really uh, struck me is the schedule that she gives. Um, it's on page 24. It's a typical yeah. Wednesday for <laughs> Elizabeth Whalen, and she is getting up at 5.30 a.m. Now, in, in full uh, disclosure, I don't do it all the time, but a lot of the time I do get up that early when I have something that I'm aiming for. And reading what she wrote here, um, it uh, really, it didn't look enjoyable. Let's put it that way. But tell us, I mean, is that was this schedule really how her life went day after day? No, <laughs> and, you know I, what, and this is the thing that was like kind of. Um,
2: I I don't know, sort of almost painful uh, to me uh, all these years later to read this article because it's written very much in this um, breezy and self-assured tone, um, really putting out the image that she, in fact, is a superwoman, that she is doing it all. But really... um, so much of it was what she thought success should look like and what she thought she should be doing rather than what was actually happening. Now, on this schedule that um, that I really recommend uh, everyone check out if you want to feel terrible about yourself <laughs> and what you're doing in your life, uh, she, she says not only did she get up at 530 in the morning, but um, but in, in one hour's time, she would do things like read the entire Wall Street Journal, um, write 20 uh, letters and this was not in the days of email, mind you, so she was answering her mail with 20 to 30 letters, return morning phone calls, ask grandma if she can take Christine next week because nanny has to go to the doctor and check with Ladyfingers Agency to see if they can send someone to clean the house on Monday. Now, um, I cannot um, write 20 to 30 letters alone in one hour. Um, nonetheless, read the Wall Street Journal and do all of those things. Um, she has similar hours like this on on her schedule. It seems exhausting, but it's also... Um, superhuman and uh, and and impossible. And so, to me, what's so fascinating about this is that my mom was struggling against the idea that not only can you have it all, but you should have it all to be a successful woman. And she was, in fact, laying out in this article uh, what she was striving to be and what she felt like she was failing at every day.
1: So I think the big question that comes to mind is... Uh your dad (laughs) and (laughs) how did that factor in did your mom reject his help or did uh that wasn't uh part of it i mean more and i can chime in about our backgrounds and the the lives that we live but we want to hear tell us in terms of superwoman how did that work out in your house
2: well so what my mother says clearly in this article and what i saw growing up was that um even though my mom and my dad both had very high powered careers it was my father's that was considered the career with a capital c and um, my mom's was the uh, was the job that would take the back burner whenever necessary now mind you she wrote 27 books she was on cnn and everything from larry king live on down good morning america you name it so she was kind of a big deal and yet it was my father who was working incredibly long hours at the law firm. And uh, and so he was not participating as much in all of this uh, home stuff. But you also have to understand that my mother had a tremendous amount of help at home, too. She had a full-time nanny, a nanny who basically raised me, um, and, uh, and a housekeeper. And, and she outsourced a tremendous amount of other household chores as well. That didn't mean that she wasn't ultimately responsible for what she called invisible work uh, Mm -hmm. decades before. It was something that we talked about uh, now with Anne-Marie Slaughter and and all those other people who are writing about it. But she is a, um, so, but but, but, yes, my father was involved. Uh, He was probably as involved, if not more involved, than um, than other fathers at the time. But still, it was on her. You know,
0: One thing that struck me in your mom's article, and you've just mentioned Anne-Marie Slaughter, who had this concept of the lead parent. Your mother actually Mm -hmm. hinted at that in the article where she wrote, I'm now convinced that the only way parenthood and joint careers can be successfully mingled is if at least one parent, usually the wife, chooses a career with substantial flexibility, one where she's her own boss or has strictly defined and limited hours. Did your mom talk to you about that idea? Someone had to be the lead parent. Someone had to have flexibility.
2: We never had the conversation explicitly, and yet she modeled it every day. And it's something that I really internalized in my own life. In the article, she writes that the reason why she was able to be successful was because her career was made up of a smorgasbord of activities. And I have actually built my own career in the same way. I am certainly the lead parent. And um, and the, the idea of having flexibility, doing a lot of, of little things, or as we would say in 2021 vocabulary, you know, the gig economy yes. and, and having and having lots of side hustles, those kinds of things are are the way that uh, my mother certainly was able to make all of this work to some degree or another. Uh, and it's certainly the way I'm trying to make it work myself.
1: And Christine, do you have children? I do. So
2: I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old. Wow. And, um, and
1: so... <laughs> You're in the weeds. (laughs) I I have a full plate myself. Right. Um, Yes. You know, I I wanted to add that I had an assignment in 11th grade, and I will apologize. I'm probably going to repeat this often on our show. But the teacher had us write an essay for the entire class, boys and girls, why I need a wife. And so at that age, at probably 16, that was the first time that somebody made us detail all of the things that the wife does that all of us could benefit from. And um, I felt that, again, reading your mother's uh, piece, you know, that look at everything that she's expecting herself to do. And I have to say that when I was working in the city practicing law, I felt like I needed a wife. Right. That's
0: a, that's a company, Maura. There <laughs> we go. <laughs> so I, I want to take back you back, Christine, to the, to the era your mom was in, because why do you think she felt that she had to present it this way?
2: Well, first of all, she had a lot of pressure from her own family to have a husband, a house in the suburbs, and, uh, and, and children, and that was really what success was going to look like to them. So anything that she was doing in her career was something extra and on the side. Uh, so going to graduate school was something that was acceptable only because she hadn't found a husband yet. Uh, and, and she, she bought into that to, to a great degree. Her mother sent her to cooking school before she got married. Um, and, um, and, and my mom sent me to cooking school as well when I was in graduate school um, in hopes that I would be able to land a husband too. So there was very much this traditional streak that uh, running through things. And yet, to be successful really meant doing both. So I personally was kind of caught in this tough position of you need to outwardly look like you are nothing but a career woman. But you also have to have this perfectly happy family life. And uh, at least in my own life, that was nearly impossible to yeah,
1: do. a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde. But I loved how she amend, uh, initially described her family calling it a backup plan to have a career. So we'll get back to that after the commercial. Thank you. So we were talking before uh, we went to break about the your mother's family being accepting of her going to for an advanced degree because it was a perceived good idea to have a backup plan. And this brings me to your mom as a mentor. I also have a successive generational uh, learning curve, um, women who have been entrepreneurs that one after the other we've learned things from. Tell us how this worked for you and your mom and how it plays into your life.
2: So my mom really was my Best, uh, mentor in, in my career, I have to say. She, from the beginning, she said that I needed to be an expert in something. And it didn't matter what, but she really liked the idea of getting my PhD. She wanted me to get my PhD, um, and uh, and then she said I could do whatever I wanted. I actually wanted to be a journalist from uh, from the outset. I wanted to go to journalism school, and my my parents were very against it. They said you can do that later once you have an expertise, a field of expertise. So they very much pushed me uh, into into higher education, which was wonderful. Uh, Except that all of a sudden I got my PhD and within moments it was now why don't you have a husband yet? And I, I remember though this sort of I thought the bait and switch I felt like I was encouraged in my career all this time and then it was um, and then it almost felt too late to accomplish the other things that I was clearly meant to accomplish. Although that, and that, did lead that you into yeah, your first ahead. book.
0: That did lead you into your first book.
2: It did. It did. So around that time, so I had finished my PhD. I was. I decided. Fine. I'm just going to get a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. But my mother said, "No, you know, y- you are a writer. Use this expertise uh, and and go out and write a book." I said, "I don't know what I want to write a book on." And she said, "I believe in you. You're going to figure it out." And then Maureen Dowd wrote this article in the New York Times in 2005, uh, and and she said that uh, that-, that men only want to marry their secretaries. They only want to marry uh, women who are less educated than them. Otherwise, they're threatened by smart, successful women. And I thought, well, um, if I'm never going to get a husband, at least I'm going to get a book out of it. (laughs) And so (laughs) I decided that I was going to use my social science background. And I was going to write a book called Overqualified for Love. And it was going to be all about how uh, smart, successful women don't get married. And then... I did the actual research and realized that that in fact was not true, uh, and that um, that the data was showing that men in fact are not intimidated by smart, successful women, and that things had changed a lot since my mother's time. So she really was a kind of a champion for me in those early days, uh, just wanted, launching me yeah. into a career that was like hers. Right.
0: I just want want to put in a plug for you, Christine. The book was well known at, at the time. Why smart men marry smart women, and frankly. Your, you as an apple didn't fall far from your mother's tree because you have to tell the story about your mother and the ad she placed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, i got to hear this. Yeah, so in, in, um, you, can, you can try to picture this. So it is 1970, 1970 at Harvard University, and my mom and her, college, and her uh, graduate school roommate um, decide that they are smart, successful women and they want boyfriends. Really, they want husbands. And so they take out an ad, because, of course, this was before online dating. They took out a, uh, an ad, a classified ad, in the Harvard Crimson. And the title of the ad is, Afraid of PhDs in Miniskirts? If so, ignore this. Two ravishing Harvard XXs desire to meet bright and interesting XYs over 5, 10, 24 years plus who are not threatened by intelligent, attractive females. They took out this ad in the Harvard Crimson, and would you believe, like, hundreds of men applied, uh, including sending all sorts of crazy things to that P.O. box, (laughs) as I heard over the years. My father was not one of the men who, uh, who replied. However, one of his friends was. And uh, my my mother met my father at a party that she was uh, brought to because of this ad.
1: Wow. So your mom, you know what it sounds like? She had a really good sense of humor. <laughs> and that, to me, is one of the most important parts of being well-rounded. But let me ask you. Did your mom fit in uh, with the moms? Like, re- really, she was a superwoman. So how did that play out for her as a person? Were, how did other women uh, look at her? Did they uh, want to learn from her and become her friend, or was it off-putting to other women?
2: It was off-putting to a lot of women. Uh, she was not friends with the other moms at my school, for example, um, and uh, and she very much felt felt uh, like she was a, a, a different creature. She did however have some close very successful female friends and um, and in fact after she passed away my father married one of them um, and so you know right. uh, so um, which is which is really wonderful uh, I have to say but the um but she she had um, she had a few close friends but really she was so busy trying to uh, live the life that she was living that um, she she didn't Uh, have she didn't make as much time for friendships as, for example, I make for friendships now.
1: Right. Well, this brings up another question. So how did that affect you? I mean, it's something that women have discussed here that not only are they supposed to do all these things that we've laid out, they also have to be the uh, social coordinator for their children. And that can be difficult if you don't fit in with the group. Did you feel the chill of your mother's different way and lack of fitting in?
2: I did, mm-hmm. and I was deeply unpopular, and I was very much an outsider, and uh, and I vowed to do it very differently for my kids. So uh, so I now am friends with all the moms in the school, and uh, I, I don't see myself uh, as as an outsider from their social life. And you know, I, I think there are there are positives and negatives to it. My my parents really believed in the way that they were living their lives, and um, and I learned to be an outsider, but also the value of the things that they were teaching me. So, you know, there there's some strengths in um in not always fitting in with the crew. And uh, and and that was certainly a big part of my childhood.
0: It's funny we had another guest uh, coming up episode that talked about a TED talk on um the power of not always fitting in. And it's funny mm-hmm. to hear you mention that as well.
1: Right, that can, that can be a skill, but that that's interesting that you know, you you, you were aware of her difference and how she was treated by the other, uh, the other moms. But did she care?
2: Well, you know, she did. Uh, she did, but only in a very defensive way. So one example was that I went to Spence, um, at a private all-girls school on the Upper East Side, and uh, and the mothers were expected to do crossing guard duty outside school. And my mother said, "No, I don't have time to do that. I have a job." And they said, "Well, you have to do it as part of your service to the school." She said, "Fine, I'll send my nanny." <laughs> and they said, No, you can't send your nanny, it has to be you And she and she had she made such a a stink about this. I was mortified. But she was raising I think a very important point for for career women. Why did it have to be her?
0: This is the balance dilemma. We're talking with Doctor Christine Well and
2: Christine? We were started off with
0: Superwoman, and I want to come back to that. That you know, articles are still written about being Superwoman. It's a term that's still used. There was just one this month in Shape magazine, though, talked about why we should stop using the term, and it's actually bad for mental health. Um, and that instead, we need to ease the pressure and guilt of having to do it all. But yet, we're still using that term. What can you say about that? Tell us about that.
2: Well, you know, it, the, the term is so interesting to me because on the one hand, yes, we should stop using it because nobody is superhuman, right? And setting up the idea that anybody should be uh, is, is to set ourselves up for failure. On the other hand, though, think about superheroes. Uh, superheroes are not actually very well-balanced Normal People are they superheroes are folks who are really good at certain things and they have these these odd talents that uh, that they use to the benefit of others. And so in that sense, my mother was a superwoman. I mean, she her ability to do things quickly and well and to translate scientific research. She was the energizer bunny. She was able to do all of those things. Now, was she able to also be home for me all the time? No, but that's just physically not possible. And we don't ask that of Superman and Batman. You know, we don't expect them to be baking cakes while saving the world. So perhaps we should sort of think of this idea of of being a superwoman as owning our superpowers and not having to do some of the other things that may not be our superpowers.
1: Hmm. Well, just to expand upon that, Uh, the superwoman prototype has a component of being a mother like from where she came from it's not true so much of the superhero men you don't think of them in a father term you think of them as big muscular hot guys that uh, (laughs) so it's funny it just it's implied in the word that there's something about it that also means that she you know has all these qualities as a woman and mother. Do you think that
0: While the term's still being used 40 years later, that perhaps we're talking about it a little bit differently, like maybe really acknowledging that we can't do it as opposed to trying to prove that we can? I mean, have we at least made that much
2: progress? So I I, I will tell you really honestly. So I, um, for the last two years, had the plan that in December of 2020, I was going to write the 40-year follow-up to this. I was going to, you know, try to write a piece myself. I was going to repitch it. It was going to be a whole big package. And then, as the years approached and the and the months approached, I realized that I had no idea what to say about it because uh, things hadn't changed in the ways that would make a, a an easy kind of then and now comparison. And, uh, and and so I, I just looked at my partner and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to punt to the 50th anniversary of this. <laughs> right. and maybe I'll have figured it out then. <laughs> right, but
1: I, I will add one thing that's changed. In doing research on our topic, this phrase of balance, it is all over corporate websites as something that's part of job opportunities, that corporations offer balance, and it isn't just for women. That's right. And that is a shocking change because... The it is agreed that men being stuck in the office with no family time is just as toxic and uh, lopsided as it is for women to have the inverse uh, situation with no time for their uh, mental and work pursuits and being stuck only doing domestic things. So it's, it's open. It's out there. It's part of the public discussion. But now we want to get to something we've been talking about and we want to uh, join you in on. And it goes to your name. Right. Because we've we made ke- a point here. Right. We keep
0: intentionally referring to you as Dr. Christine Whalen, And as <laughs> you know, there was a recent Wall Street Journal opinion piece by Joseph Epstein, who's not a doctor, mm-hmm. that First Lady Dr. Jill Biden should, doc- should drop the doctor title. You are a doctor, your mother was a doctor, your father's not a doctor.
2: What are your thoughts on this and would anyone have said that about a man? No, nobody would have said it about a man. Um, the whole thing is so cringeworthy. Uh, I can tell you though that back when I was growing up my mother um, my mother was really adamant about always being called Dr. Whelan and it embarrassed me at the time. Uh, As I got older, I said, oh, well, that's just because she was such a trailblazer. She was one of the first female graduates of the Harvard School of Public Health. uh, And I thought, okay, well, you know, she earned it. She was a trailblazer. It's okay, but I probably don't need to do that myself. Then when I started teaching and I noticed that my students were calling my, um, my male colleagues, doctor and professor and calling me miss or hey you (laughs) um i decided oh no no i'm going to teach these young kids that they need to have that these degrees confer respect on on everybody and so i changed to signing all of my emails either professor whelan or dr whelan and so i actually think it is a very important um statement to make and when one student came up to me and said "Uh, mrs whelan and i said now wait a second um, even my mother wasn't Mrs. Whelan. right? So, so I am Dr. Whelan. right? And uh, and 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 these these are small things, uh, but um, but they, they they carry a big difference when it comes to uh, gender equity and and respect. So, your current partner is a medical doctor. Does he, he
0: feel is. that there's a difference between the medical doctor and the PhD doctor, which was something Epstein was talking about in that piece? Yeah. So,
2: you know, it it is a, um, uh, yes. He, so we've talked about this quite a lot. For example, on an airplane, um, I do not put um, doctor anywhere on when I, when I sign up uh, and put my information in to like American Airlines, I don't put Dr. Christine Whelan on there because I don't want anybody on the airplane in case of emergency to think that I can do anything other than talk to them about their <laughs> inner child. Um, so, so right. So, so there is, there is some risk associated with, um, you know, with, with being called a doctor, people think that you can do things that you potentially cannot. However, my partner is a psychiatrist, and he also does not put doctor on his airline uh, tickets either because in case of that emergency, um, he as a psychiatrist can change their antidepressant medicines but is not going to be able to do much else for them, right? right? So, you know, not all, just like not all medical doctors are, are, um, are skilled at a particular thing, you know, not all PhDs are either. So.
1: Right. Well, the other thing is it might come down to words and translation because in other languages, you know, in the uh, Latin culture, doctor, a lawyer is a doctor. And, uh, you know, it's understood there's different types, but as you put it, it does connote a level of respect. And that's really the point of being called professor, doctor, and and you, you earned it and you're entitled to it. So... There we go. Yeah, and, to use
2: it, and to use it in um, in a professional context, I think it's always acceptable. In a social context, I don't feel the need to use it, but I certainly wouldn't uh, dissuade anybody else from using it. It should be a personal choice. So should Joe Biden use it? If she would like to use it, she absolutely can use it. And the thing is, she should use it in her professional context. So why shouldn't she, you know, use it? I mean, I think actually in her first lady context, that is a professional Correct. context. Right. So since she is Dr. Biden, um, when as she teaches, she should be Dr. Biden in her other professional job. I mean, you know, she's sort of em- embodying this idea of uh, of wearing many hats and of uh, trying to, to to balance multiple responsibilities. So, now, first, be doctors
1: throughout <laughs> first can always be uncomfortable. And I have not done a search of all the first ladies to see what other uh, pedigree they had. But there is this expectation with first ladies that. They step back, they they be demure. And we've even seen that in recent years, how that played out for two first ladies who were both highly successful and had to step into a different situation. So it'll be interesting to see how Dr. Jill uh, Biden handles that with her uh, new position, Um, because there's certainly a lot that that they're going to be doing. So now here's another thing that I'd like your input on. Are we too hard on ourselves I mean, the superwoman situation that we've been talking about. I, I want you to think about this and we'll talk about it when we come back. This
0: is The Balanced Dilemma, and we're talking
1: with Dr. Christine Whelan. And, and I, before we go to
0: the question that was just asked, I want to point out that our producer just came in for us to point out that Dr. Biden is still going to is planning to remain a teacher um, you know, which is another step in another direction. And
1: we, we're going to uh, put a little tab on that and hold it for future discussion to see how this turns out, another first. But let's go back to, are we too hard on ourselves? I mean, how does that factor into this overwhelming schedule your mother's laid out, the overwhelming life that we all lead? is it, Are we driving the bus and making it difficult? Or, or what do you think about that? Well, yes,
2: we do put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves. Um, our, our social narrative of success puts an unreasonable amount of pressure on, on especially women. Uh, and, and yet, you know, it, it, there's now this sort of alternative narrative, which I've been finding very interesting that's saying, you know, we are too hard on ourselves. You should be engaged in self-love, let it all go. Um, just do what you can. And, um, I'm interested in this narrative because it doesn't seem particularly genuine. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's okay for other people, but not for me, um, it seems to be the, um, seems to be the, the undercurrent there. So, like, I should tell my girlfriends, oh, come on, you know, just sit there and have a pint of Ben and Jerry's and, and watch Netflix and don't worry about it so much. That's the sort of quote unquote correct advice. And yet we really reward people both monetarily and, uh, and in terms of our accolades, in terms of social media likes who are accomplishing big, great things. So, you know, it, 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 we're all caught thinking that we are failing on something. And, you know, men tend not to feel this way. Uh, this does tend to be a more, more gendered female narrative.
1: Yes, and I want to point out that I saw the words Weight Watchers in your mother's article (laughs) and I my mother had these books all through my childhood uh, notating slices of bread units of this points boy it it just doesn't get uh, easier any easier if you're having to juggle all these things including self-care. I mean is there anything that you could say that has been an example that you've done it not as well and you're okay with that and that's actually helped you in modifying this formula that your mother laid out for you
2: oh i i mean most things i mean I, so so by by my time my mother was my age at 43 i, I think she'd written more than 20 books i have quote-unquote only written five. Oh dear uh, that's I'm okay all with that <laughs> <laughs> um you know I, I, you know she 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 did everything in her career bigger and better uh, than than i am i chose to have more children than she did um, and i am much more around for my kids uh, and and much more involved in their lives that's not a criticism of my mom she you know she she followed her passions and i always say that i have a an older sibling which is the organization she founded the american council on science and health so you know, we choose to do things differently, but I can tell you that my career has, uh, has taken quite a hit because of my choice to prioritize my family. So in what way has it taken a hit? Well, I have, I have written less, I have earned less money, and, uh, and, and I have just not accomplished as much as I, I'm sure that I could. I, I once did a, um, maybe a year or two ago, I did a time diary exercise to figure out why I always felt like I wasn't getting any work done and why I just constantly had this sense that I wasn't doing enough. And I I did this exercise where for an entire week, I blocked out my time in 15-minute increments, and I just wrote down exactly what I did. It turns out that the reason why I felt like I wasn't doing um, a lot of work and getting anything done is because, in fact, I was not doing a whole lot of work. I was spending so much time with my children making dinner. I was spending so much time uh, driving them to school, planning play dates for them, figuring out their summer plans for the, the next summer that I was not doing a whole lot of paid work. And so now I, I look back on uh, my last couple of years and even what I'm doing right now, and I have to say I feel a lot better about myself because I have had a pretty incredible career given how little time and energy I have devoted to it over the last couple of years while my kids are young. And so many of my friends and I are talking to each other quite honestly about how these are the years where we just need to look like we are having a big a big enough career we just need to have the public perception that we are still out there, and then once our kids are grown and maybe need us a little bit less or need us in different ways, then we can resume actually doing a lot of the producing work uh, and the creative work that, that we judge ourselves on. Right. I'll
0: just caution you, Christine, because I have older children, that <laughs> little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems.
1: Well, we we do talk about this, that, um, yes, you you never know what's coming down the the pike, but I think you've set up a really good uh, roadmap and an example for women to see how they could uh, structure something for their lives that has uh, enough flexibility so that they can be successful. Or maybe it's
0: that you
1: can have
2: it
0: all, but not all at the same time.
2: Yes, I have always said that. You can have it all, but not at the same time. That is true. However, here's what I caution. If you leave the workforce, it's very hard to get back in, right? It's depending on what your career is. But so, so my friends and I are, are trying to figure out what the, um, the low time but high visibility things that we can do in our career now to sort of keep it going as best we can. And um, and then maybe invest more time later. I, I, as you were as you were saying, oh, I warn you, you know, little kids, little problems. Uh, I was thinking, oh, man, see, I, I gave myself another decade to write the <laughs> response to this article. And what you're telling me is in another decade, I'm going to be even further buried. I, like, I no, you're, gonna, know. Yeah, it's you're going
1: to be different. <laughs> you're going to block out the time and you're going to have a massive, uh, you know, brain uh, thought of how to write the article. But this brings us to another concept that we talk about a lot, which is imposter syndrome. and. In some variation, your mother's article was a bit imposterish in that she felt, according to what you're discussing here, that she had to put out this image of absolute perfection in order to uh, achieve this persona that she needed to keep. Uh, in, in the public. I mean, many women feel this, uh, feeling that they're, they're faking it and it might be something that's more particular to women. How do you feel about that? Have you experienced imposter syndrome or what are your feelings on the concept?
2: So first of all, my mother, yes, she very much uh, she very much suffered from that. She suffered from it so deeply that she dissociated those feelings. I don't think she would tell you that she suffered from imposter syndrome. She would have said, "Oh yes, I can do it all," um, and she really held that image up so much that um, it was just so incredibly important to her to not to not let that crumble. For me, though, I um, I'm uh, our generation. My generation is um, is realizes that it's just impossible to do all of that all at once and so my imposter syndrome comes uh, only in particular circumstances uh, where I feel like I am um, I, I'm just skimming over the surface because I haven't had time to really delve in deep enough for the most part though I think this is one of the positive changes that we have seen in the last forty years is more of a discussion about these very issues and uh, and and encouraging women to have more confidence and acknowledge all the things that they are doing and that those little quote unquote little things really do matter. Um, so that's part of my own work right now as I work with my students saying that, you know, using your your strengths in keeping with your values to make a positive impact on the lives of others, that's living on purpose. And whether that means making a baked potato bar for your family whether that means uh, doing a small project at work, it doesn't matter as long as you are doing things that are creating meaning for yourself. Right. That's going to give you good feeling.
1: We'll give you the next title for your next book, Fake It Till You Make It, and Here's How You Do It. But let me tell you something. I want to share with you what our our guest for next week, uh, Catherine Frankel. And she's an Australian woman, and she has lived by a personal motto. Life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. And she is going to tell us of the path that she took from another country to this country, to uh, owning a business, to becoming a writer. And I hope everyone will join us for that discussion on February 4th at 2 p.m. here at WVOX. And you can also find us on our new website. We're so excited. TheBalancedDilemma.com, where you can find old episodes. You can also sign up for our newsletter. We're going to do a segment, a newsletter called Off the Mic. And Maura and I will share tidbits that what we're reading, what we're watching, what what we're seeing because that's something that i find that we both find with our friends that we're always sharing good books good podcasts good movies and the best way to find it is just chatting with your friends and if you want to check into it and and get some ideas and inspiration there you go and uh you can also find us on facebook and linkedin
0: christine one last question before we have to wrap this up are you teaching your students male as and female that maybe we should be looking at a new definition of what success means
2: Absolutely, it is the core of my class called "Consuming Happiness," and uh, and and I teach it to both men and women, and both are absolutely open to hearing this. So we we may be up for a a big generational shift uh, in the coming years. I certainly hope so.
1: And how do Christy and I sign up for this class? Yeah, really, we want the <laughs>
2: syllabus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're we're going to shadow your class, or actually, maybe we'll uh, we'll, we'll get to. Uh, sit uh, in by Zoom now that uh, things can be remote, huh? Exactly, exactly. You, we're, we're, we're talking about it. It's,
2: it's getting to be so popular that we are actually thinking about doing just that. Um, and just a little plug, if you're interested in learning more about the stuff that I do, uh, I have a new audible uh, great lectures series out uh, called Living on Purpose. Love and, it. Uh, and it talks about just
1: a lot of these issues. Great, that'll be in our show notes. Thank you for joining us, Christine. We hope you'll come back. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Dar- Uh Sorry.
0: <laughs> and this is The wow. Balance Dilemma.